Good morning, Walk Church. Thank you so much, Pastor Hyden and worship team. Uh, man, y'all just helped usher us into the presence of God. Man, I don't know about you, but I have just so thoroughly throughout this quarantine enjoyed these times of worship through song on these Sunday mornings. Uh, Sean and the whole team has just done an incredible job. Uh, thank you so much. And, and man, they couldn't do it at all without the incredible team behind the camera. I want to just want to thank Pastor Wes and, and Wilson and Deck and so many others on the team that just make all this possible. I'm so grateful for, for each and every one of them. And, and I'm excited to be here with you. My name is Ryan. I'm the uh, church planting apprentice here at Walk. And just what that means is that we are getting ready to plant a new church in the city. Uh, there's some incredible churches in Las Vegas, but we think there needs to be uh, not just one more, but many more churches uh, all across the valley. And we're planting Image Church uh, soon. And I'm just grateful to, to Pastor Hyden and Nina and, and the whole team here at Walk for, for this opportunity to share God's word with you and just to dig in to this time. And I'm excited. And if you have your Bible, and, I, and I, I really hope you do, or maybe you just need to pull up another tab on your computer or uh, pull up your Bible app. But I want you to look at God's word with me this morning. We're going to be in Ruth chapter three. We're going to be really digging into to God's word. And, and I, I hope my prayer for you is that we not only uh, learn about God this morning, but we have some practical truths that we can apply to our lives as a result of this sermon. All right, so, so that's where we're going. I want to give us a little bit of recap. If this is your first Sunday with us, uh, if you haven't been following along, we've been studying through the book of Ruth. It's been so interesting. If you have ever met somebody that says, man, the Bible is boring, they have not read this book. This book is compelling. It has uh, some difficult seasons in it. It has um, some a little bit of, feels like like even scandal amidst the text, but but it's just so incredible just to see um, God as, as a redeemer just through this text. And so I want to give just a little bit, a two-minute recap on, on where we've been and, and also just thank the Lord that I'm preaching the second half of Ruth 3. Um, the beginning of Ruth 3 is just a difficult passage to, to trek through, but, but Pastor Mike did an incredible job last week um, helping us grow deeper in our understanding uh, of God and, and, and kinsmen and redeemers through looking at the beginning of Ruth 3. But how this book opens up is that we're introduced to this family. We're introduced to, to Naomi and Abimelech. And, and this family, um, this couple has two sons. And what they do is they decide to leave Bethlehem and, and they leave because there was beginning to be a famine there, and they go to Moab. And their sons marry two Moabite women. And in that season, uh, all it really tells us is that uh, Elimelech dies, and so does their two sons. So in this short season, all three men in this family pass away. And so Naomi goes to, to Ruth and, and her other daughter-in-law, Orpah, and says, hey, you go back to your people. I'm leaving, and you go back uh, to kind of where, where you came from. Who, who knows you best? And Ruth says, no, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. I'm sticking with you, Naomi. And so they leave, and they show up in Bethlehem. And the very end of Ruth chapter 1, they show up and, and, and they meet the women of the city and they say, it's, it's Naomi. And she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. 
She says, I have left full, but I've returned empty. And bitter, so she's just upset at God. And then we find ourselves in Ruth chapter two. And so what Ruth chapter two is now we have Ruth um, going out into the city that she's going to find work. She begins gleaning in a field and it just so happened the field that she chose to glean in was Boaz's field. And so she was gleaning in this field and Boaz took a liking to Ruth. And he invites her into this dinner and and feeds her well. And then he even tells his men, um, protect her. Tells all his women, make sure you look after Ruth, care for her. And then he allows her to to take even more than what she could have uh, possibly taken on her own. She she goes back to Naomi and and she's just filled with with beginning to to be delight. And now she spends the whole harvest season uh, gleaning in Boaz's field. And in Ruth 3, it picks up. We we have uh, Naomi. She says, all right, uh, Boaz has had his opportunity to to pursue you. He's had his his chance, and he hasn't taken it. Naomi says to Ruth, here's what you're going to do. You're now going to shoot your shot with Boaz. And so through a series of events, she meets him late at night after uh, some tough work that he had been doing. And Ruth... uh, essentially has a marriage proposal to Boaz. And that's where we pick up the story in Ruth chapter three, verse 14. So I'm gonna read verse 14 all the way through the end of the chapter. I'm gonna pray. And then we're gonna jump back and just dig into these verses, just verse by verse. So so starting in verse 14, it says, so she lay, that's Ruth. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Boaz said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it. And he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went to the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all, then she told her all that the man had done for her saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that we have these, these interesting stories that help us learn more and more about you and your character. Well, I, I pray that we just would, would look at, at Boaz. We would just follow Boaz as, as he follows you. Lord, help us just apply the, these truths from Scripture to our lives. Lord, we love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. All right, so this is a, a pretty interesting text. We're going to look at it just kind of verse by verse, but uh, I just want to look a little bit overall at the whole story that we've been looking at in Ruth. Um, we've learned a lot about this one gentleman named Boaz. Uh, a few weeks ago, Pastor Hyden preached an incredible sermon on, on leadership principles from Boaz. And if you haven't seen any, you need to go check that one out. But we, we looked at 10 different things on, on how a Boaz is, is a leader that we could follow, a leader that, that we could even emulate. And one of the things that, that you see in, in all of the story, right? I, I was thinking about recently um, who, who I would 
be excited about my son saying, hey, this is my role model. Right, we use that language a lot in, in culture. We have influencers and, and different things. And, and I was like, man, um, out of all the role models in the world, who would I be excited if my son, when, when he grows up, he says, um, dad, this person, other than you, right? I, I need to be number one. I'm just kidding. Uh, but who, who would I be excited for my son to say, dad, this guy, this individual, they're my role model. And I was thinking about it as I was approaching this text, and man, I would love for my son to say, man, Boaz is my role model. I want to be just like him. I want to to follow him as he follows God uh, that we get to see throughout this text. And one thing that you just see throughout Boaz's life, one thing that he represents um, almost more than anything else, is this theme of generosity. Man, Boaz is one of the most generous people over and over again. And that's what I want us to really dig into this morning is the generosity um, of Boaz and what generosity is and why that matters in our life. Why is generosity important? Why would we spend a whole sermon talking about generosity? So before we go any further, I want to give you just a definition, kind of a working definition uh, for generosity. I found this in the Cambridge Dictionary. It says that generosity is a willingness to give help or support more than is usual or expected, right? To give help or, or support more than is usual or suspected. And, and I, I understand, I feel tension right now through, through the camera, through the computer screen, right? right I'm, I'm with you. I feel that there's some people think, man, this guy's talking about generosity and I, and I haven't even got a second stimulus check. I've lost my job. This has been a tough season, and we're going to talk about generosity? And I hear you. But I just got to sign the text, okay? So we're just to the next part of the story. But here's my first point that I think we see in verse 14, is that generosity is more than money, right? Oftentimes, that's always where our mind goes when we talk about generosity. But generosity is so much more than money. Let me prove it to you. In verse uh, 14, so she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And Boaz said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And you're like, where's the generosity there? There's a lot of things that Boaz could have done in this moment. Boaz could have took advantage of Ruth. And nobody would have been the wiser, probably. Boaz could have just left himself and was like, I'm not going to get caught with this individual. I'm not going to allow myself to to be seen like that. I'm not going to allow my reputation to be in jeopardy. But instead, what Boaz did is that he was generous with his wisdom. And he said, hey, Ruth, you need to wake up and you need to get out of here. Um, As we've both stayed pure, we need to make sure we don't even have the appearance of ungodliness. You need to get out of here before anyone else can see you. Boaz was generous with his wisdom, with his experiences. We don't know this for sure because we don't know Boaz's early life. But I would be willing to to, to bet that Boaz has experience, has seen firsthand how, how damaging his reputation could harm his life. 
right? He probably has the wisdom. Wisdom is as applied knowledge, right? And so he probably has the knowledge, the experiences in his past, either maybe himself or his friends and family to say, hey, uh, I've been through this before. I've seen this play out before. And I know what needs to be done here. So, so here, we're going to do this the right way. Right? He didn't take the, the easy way out, which he could have. Instead, he chose to be generous with his wisdom and with his experiences. I was thinking about this in my life. One of the ways that, that I could be generous with, with, with wisdom that I didn't even want. When I was 16 years old, I worked at uh, my first real job ever. I've been working for, forever, but my first job with a pay stub, right, that I had to pay taxes on, uh, I worked at Subway. And Man, I worked there for, for three years and loved it, ate all the cookie dough that any human could possibly eat. It was a great gig. But there was one night when I was 16 years old and I was closing the store. We was getting ready to, to lock everything up and get out of there. When two gentlemen run in the store and they both point two pistols into my face and demanded that, that I lay on the ground and, and demanded that, that we give them all the cash that we have. And we're gone just like that. And that's an experience that I wish no one would have to experience. However, I could allow myself to, to, to block that memory out, to, to never bring that up again, or I, I could enter spheres where people have experienced the same thing or similar things, and I can actually say, I, I, I hear you and I understand. And here's what helped me um, get through the situation. Let me share the wisdom that, that I have just because I've been there and I've gone through that. Let me just walk with you. Let me help you. Right? We all have, have situations in our life, uh, circumstances, wisdom that, that we've accrued uh, based off our experiences that we can be generous with to others. And one of the, the really cool ways I saw this play out in Alabama where I'm from is I had a friend that uh, had a teenage pregnancy, which, which is just, uh, can be a difficult season. She loved her daughter so much and cared deeply for her and was a great mom. But that's a difficult path to take. But now, after her, her daughter's already graduated college and she's much older, she now works and volunteers at a, at a crisis pregnancy center. She, she meets uh, teen moms all day, every day. And she can actually look at them and say, I, I know what you're going through. I know what you're experiencing because I was there. And I hear you and I care for you. Let me help you. She's generous with her experiences. She's generous with her wisdom. And we have opportunity as well, just like Boaz, just like that individual, to be generous with our wisdom, to be generous with our experiences. But it's even more than that. We found earlier in the story, in Ruth chapter 2, that, that Boaz was generous with his protection. He told Ruth, he said, hey, I don't want you to go any, to any other field. He said, because your life could literally be in danger. You are a foreigner here. He said, I want you to stay in my field where I can care for you where I can make sure that you are protected. He went to all of his men, all of his women. He said, you watch out for Ruth. 
Man, what, what are ways that, that you can be generous with things other than money? What are ways that you can be generous with your time? My mom lives this thing out so well, both my parents. My mom is one of the more generous people I've ever met. And it's, and it's usually not with money. It's usually with the world's best cakes in the world. My mom makes a better cake than anybody. I put her up against anybody. And all the time she's baking or cooking for, for families or for individuals. She's so generous with, with that skill and, and that ability and blessing others. And my, my dad, just like her, he, he's the greatest carpenter in the world. And he's always generous with his time to say, hey, I can help you do that. I can, I can uh, assist you in that or I can even do it. My dad is just so generous, both of them. And that's why I, I'm just so passionate about this subject. One seen it in the Bible, but then seeing it modeled so well throughout my life. So I ask you the question, what's something you can be generous with? Maybe it's being generous with your time and, and serving at, at an after-school program like Club Christ and helping tutor kids. Maybe it's, it's being generous with your home and opening your home to, to foster care. Maybe it's being generous with your, your vehicles and saying, hey, I, I know some people that, that don't have one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start giving out some rides to, to, to friends and families, to neighbors. But generosity is way more than just money. It's way more than money. Second point I want us to really dig into, you. we don't see specifically in this passage, but we see it um, throughout the theme of Ruth. We see it through Boaz, is that, that generosity is more than the minimum. Generosity is more than the minimum. If we go back to that quote uh, we had earlier, it says, a willingness to give help or support more than is usual or expected. So generosity is more than the minimum. Um, here, here's why I think this is so important for, for us to get to, because we, uh, we often have conversations in the church of, of, of how much to give or, or what, what am I supposed to be giving? Or, uh, and, and so this is where we're going to get a little bit about uh, finances and things. We're going to get a little bit uncomfortable, but it's okay because we're just sticking to the Bible. This isn't what, what I want you to do. This is the Bible, okay? Um, and, and here, I want to show you a couple of things because you may have heard the word tithe before. When it comes to church, the word tithe literally means tenth. Right? We a lot of times talk about the tithe being a good starting point in giving to the church, a tenth of our income. But I want to tell you the context for Boaz, right? The, the amount that he would have been giving during this day because he was a worthy man. And so we can assume with that type of language spoken about him um, is that he was faithful to give. And uh, Numbers 18, verses 21 and 24, you have something called the, the Levitical tithe. And what the Levitical tithe was, is was literally 10% of your income was to pay the priest, right? It was to pay the, the, the workers. It, if we go back even further, that, that all the land was divided up among the 12 tribes. It was di divided, amo divided amongst all of them, except for the tribe of Levi, because that was supposed to be where the priest came from. So they were, didn't get any inheritance, they didn't get any land, but they were, were given um, this, uh, this requirement, that this, this uh, tie to be given to them to fund their work and what they were to be doing. So that was the first tithe. You said first tithe? There's more than one? Yes, there's more than one. The second tithe. So now we're at 
was something called the, the tithe of the feast in booths. In Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 27, this is where we see this. This is essentially the activities of the church. So, so we gave it 10% to the, the, the elders, the, the, the priests of the church, and now we're, they were giving another 10% to the activities of the church. Right? These festivals, these feasts, this is where, where people would come together with the, learn more about God, grow deeper in their relationship with him. So now we're at, we're at 20%. And now the third tithe, you're like, there, there's more? Yeah, so now we have a third tithe, and it's called uh, the tithe for the poor. You see this in Deuteronomy 14, 28. Now this tithe was to be taken up every third year. So this wasn't every year, this was every third year. And it was to be given to the poor or the widows, the outcasts. And so what that means is that the tithe of this day was roughly 23.5%. That's how much Boaz um, would have been probably regularly giving. Of all this, 23.5%. But then that's not it. Because we have extra provision. So above and beyond that, we see in Leviticus 19, 9, and 10, there's extra provisions for the poor. In these verses, we, we see the instruction to, to harvesters. Hey, do not harvest the entire field. Leave the edges for the poor, the wanderer, the foreigner, to allow them to glean. Because that, that's what uh, Ruth was doing. She was just uh, gleaning on the edges to begin with. Because there, there was that provision. So uh, essentially... God is, is instructing, hey, I don't even want you to take 100% of what's yours. I want you to start out at 95%, maybe at 90%. I want you to leave those edges. And then I want you to, 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 to give 23.5% of that. That is like unheard of in our culture today. That's something that, that we wouldn't possibly even dream of. However, I, I want to take you a, a step further in verse of 15 and 16 of chapter 2, Ruth chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. So with all that in context, this is what it says. It says, when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young man saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. What, what's happening here is, is, is Boaz is a faithful man. He's a worthy man. So he's living out all those other times. And yet, even above that, he's saying, I want you to give Ruth even more. I've already invited her into this special dinner, but I want you to give her more. I want you to allow her to go wherever she wants. But then even when she's not looking, I want you to throw a little extra on the ground for her to have generosity is more than the minimum. C.S. Lewis, he says it much better than I ever could. He says, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. So I, I, I don't want to argue with you today about um, does it need to be 10%? Does it need to be 23.5%? If we look at the life of Jesus, when he approached the rich young ruler, he told him it's 100%. All that I'm talking about is with generosity. I, I believe it's, it's more than the minimum. Uh, I believe that the generosity that, that, that God is calling us to, what, what generosity is, is saying, hey, I'm not going to allow money 
or things to lord over my life. I'm going to rule those things. I'm not going to allow them to rule me. Right? So, so if this is a sensitive subject, if this, this feels tough or even scary, it's possible that we're allowing money and things to rule us. Because just over and over again, you see throughout Scripture, you see through the example of Boaz, that generosity is more than the minimum. I want us to, to, to go even a step farther. In verse 15 of Ruth 3, Ruth 3.15, it says, And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went to the city. Now we have no idea how much a measure is. Um, it, it wasn't like he didn't physically measure. He made it just like, oh, this much, this looks good. But we know this was a lot of food because he had to put it on her. It was so much that she couldn't just pick it up herself. She, he had to physically um, put it together to put on her. And so that brings me to this point, that generosity is selfless. Generosity is selfless. And here's what I mean by that. We've went through several months in this story. Several months where, where Ruth and Boaz were probably interacting. I'd imagine they're probably even flirting based on, on, on what, how they feel about each other that we're finding out right now. And, and what's happened is that I, I just imagine uh, Boaz is a little bit like me where, where he enjoys kind of the, the, the pursuit that he's in, but he's scared to actually make a move. I know for me, uh, me and my wife, Kirsten, we were in a relationship for, for quite some time. Um, but we, in a friendship, not a relationship, we were in a friendship for, for, for a few years. And there was about one year that, that we would have both said we were each other's best friends. We were so close, we would tell each other we loved each other. And like so, such friends that she would even talk to me about boys. Like, that's how deep in the friend zone I was. And what, what happened is one day I was like, I, I, I can't take it anymore. I, I got to shoot my shot. And, and so, but I, I still wasn't confident enough to, to do it to her face. I had to write a letter. So I write a, a letter to her expressing how I felt. And man, she was mad. She was so upset. Because what this did is, is, is that changed everything. Right? We could no longer continue to be friends like we were. We either had to, had to take a step in, in this new direction or stop being friends altogether. And so that, that upset her. But that's what's happened in the story. Because Boaz seems to be like he was content with the way things were. He was content with just having Ruth around and being able to spend this minimal amount of time with her and blessing her and being generous to her. But when she initiated this conversation... That changed everything because now uh, she has to do, he has to do something about it. Now, he, because you, you could tell he's been thinking about this because when, when Ruth makes this marriage proposal, when, when he says, hey, when she says, hey, I, I want you to cover me with your wings. You could tell Boaz has already been contemplated because he says, well, I would love to, but I know there's another kinsman redeemer. There's somebody that's closer. There's somebody that's got a, a, a closer shot. 
So what all that means is that, that, that there's a very real possibility that Ruth will be out of his life forever the very next day. Man, that, that's a tough place to be in. Ruth put him in, in a tough position. And yet, it's there that he still gave to her six measures of barley. This is the one moment he had absolutely nothing to gain. Earlier in their story, like, like he could actually get some things, uh, possibly, like he could have had some, some selfish motives in all his giving. Right? He could have been like really trying to get Ruth's attention. But it's in this moment, he has nothing to gain. This, this is the mo most selfless representation of his generosity. And he gave generously to her. Because uh, generosity is selfless. And, and here, here's what uh, I, I really even mean by, by that point. Is that I, I really believe that generosity is so difficult for us here in America today because we live so far above our means. Right? It's, it's impossible for us to be generous when we're living at 110% of our income. Right? That there's no more to give because everything that comes in, we already have it scheduled to go back out to new shoes or, or cars or, or things. And we, we compromise on generosity by, by satisfying self. And I really believe that, that if we, we live to, to our generous uh, potential, that there'll be some sacrifices that we make in our lives. There'll be, there'll be some times that we give and, and really there's, there's nothing we could possibly get in return except the, the, the joy of the Lord and there's nothing better than that. But I want to tell you that the generosity is selfless. So we've been talking a lot about what, what generosity is. Generosity is more than money. It's more than the minimum. It's selfless. And up to this point, you could answer all those things and saying, so, I mean, who cares what, what generosity is? It, um, we haven't been convinced yet why we should be generous. We're convinced why other people should be generous to us, but we're, we're not convinced yet why we should be generous. And that brings us to my last point. In verse 16 through 18, you have Ruth coming home. She sees her mother-in-law and her mother-in-law says, who are you? How are you? What's happened? Naomi probably hasn't slept at all. She said, what happened? And here's what Ruth tells her. And what's so cool is how the narrator draws this out. He says, hey, Boaz told me that I could not allow my mother-in-law to go away empty. Right, the way this story starts out in Ruth chapter one, when Naomi is showing back up to the city and saying, I left full, but I've come back empty. Now it's, it's coming full circle and saying, hey, I, I'm gonna provide for your every need. I'm gonna be generous to you. Because generosity changes lives. Generosity changes lives. Man, you see how radically uh, different Naomi's life is now because of the generosity of Boaz. 
And you're going to see it even come even more full circle in the next chapter. And I won't want to spoil it for you, but you're going to want to stick around for chapter four because it is an incredible celebration. You know, in the beginning of the story, we start out with three funerals. And now we get to the point where a woman that's old in her age, that doesn't think that there's anything good to hope for, her life is radically changed by the generosity of Boaz. But it doesn't just stop there. What that, what that does, the generosity of this person in changing Naomi's life in the temporary points to the life-changing power of the generosity of Jesus. Right, one of the most famous verses in all of Scripture, John 3.16, For God so loved you, for God so loved me, for God so loved the world, that he gave, that he was generous with, his only son, that whosoever should believe in him should have everlasting life. That is a generosity that radically changed my life. That's a generosity that can radically change your life. God's given us a good gift. And all we have to do is is receive it. Receive this, this good gift of Jesus that God has been so so generous with. And look, that, that's something that, that you can accept today. Right? I want generosity to change your life. And it can change your life in two ways. First, the way that you can receive generosity today. You can receive generosity today and say, hey, I'm tired of running from Jesus. I'm tired of doing this on my own. I'm tired of being prideful and saying, I can figure it all out. And I'm going to say, hey, Jesus, you have figured it all out. You are all, and I accept you as a gift. And you can begin a relationship with Jesus today. I'm going to share even more about that in just a second as we close in prayer. But the second way that generosity can change your life it's by beginning to be generous to others. Man, there's nothing more exciting and joyful than genuine generosity. And so I want to give us just five small steps to generosity. If you want to start being generous today, here's five small steps. Step number one, start giving. Start giving. Um, so, so whether that be financial, whether that be with your time, whatever that may be, you know, we talked about earlier in the first point of different things that we could be generous with. Start today. We're going to have a generosity moment in just a second, a way to, to even give to the church. Um, you can start today. Don't worry, worry about the past or, or worry. You can start giving today. That's the best way to initiate generosity is to start it. Pastor Chip Ingram, he says, the greatest way to learn the genius of generosity is to practice it in real time with others. So, but before we're done with this sermon, before you log off, I want you to say, hey, how am I gonna be generous today? What am I gonna be generous with this week? Start giving today. Second, second way to uh, be generous, to, to second small step in generosity is make a budget. Two different things here. Make a budget. First, we all need budgets for our money. Right? If we don't have any idea how much is coming in or how much is going out, 
Right? We, we have no idea the areas that, that we could be generous, the areas that, that we could cut out, uh, that, that we can even begin to, to be a little bit more lean, to uh, be generous the way Jesus is generous. Second, make a budget with your time, right? Have a calendar. It's easy for us to say, man, I have no time to be generous with. I have no things that, to be generous with. And then uh, we get to the end of our week and an iPhone says it's alert that you spent 12 hours a day on your phone. Right, we need a schedule um, so we can budget some things so that we can increase our generosity with our time our, and our talent and our treasures. Third thing, allow others to counsel you. Look, uh, ask for generosity from other people that's further along than you. Find some other brothers and sisters in our church. Find some other brothers and sisters around you and say, hey, I'm new to this whole generosity thing. I'm new to this whole giving. I'm new to making money even. I need help. I, I, it's impossible for me to figure it out on my own. Help me, right? Don't do this Christian life on your own. Do it in community. Allow others to speak into your life. Fourth thing, limit luxuries. Now, I, I, I don't, I'm not saying eliminate luxuries. Eliminate all uh, good, exciting things in your life. I'm saying limit luxuries. So we all have some things in our life that we could begin to scale back to then allow us to create space to be generous to others. Right, right. maybe you get uh, four drinks from Starbucks a week. Maybe just cutting that to two, you now have more room to sponsor a Compassion International child. Right, and be generous in that way. Right? Or maybe uh, you could cut out just one out-to-eat meal a week and, and you could begin giving $20 a month to Goodness Gracious, ministry that we partner with. Right? But there, there's some luxuries that we could begin to maybe even assess through, through budgeting, but, but begin to limit so that we could increase our generosity. The fifth and final thing, the most important thing, lean on God. Look, beginning in this is not easy. But I promise you'll never outgive God, right? You often hear it said, um, you're never more like Jesus than when you give. God loves a generous heart and he's gonna help you throughout this entire process. He's gonna be there every single step of the way. And you can lean on him. You could trust him. You can pray to him and he will be there. So those are the, the five small steps to, to begin um, being more generous, start giving, make a budget, allow others to counsel you, limit luxuries and lean on God. And I promise generosity, if you're already a believer, generosity will change your life. And if not, some of you, the way generosity is gonna change your life is by receiving God's generosity to you. And you can do that right now. So I want you to pray with me. I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite you to, to, to pray with me uh, if you're wanting to accept God's generosity to you. Lord, we love you. Thank you that you have been so gracious and generous to us. Thank you that you're generous with your son. Lord, I, I pray that there's people watching this right now that for the first time that they would accept your good gift of Jesus. And if you're wanting to do that right now, just say, saying, God, I love you. Lord, I'm sorry for always trying to do it on my own. 
God, I want you to save me. I, I want to accept your good gift of Jesus. Lord, I want to begin a relationship with you. Lord, we, we love you. We honor you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer and really meant it today, you have accepted the gift of generosity of Jesus. And you can, you've begun a relationship with Jesus today. Amen. We rejoice with you. And we are so grateful for each and every one of you. Thank you for tuning in. And I'm going to send it over to Pastor Hyden to close us out.